Well, good morning. My name's Bruce McGregor, and I'm the founder of Freedom Fire Ministries, which many Hillcrest folks have been a part of. We started in 1997 with doing youth ministry out of the federal housing developments just east of downtown, and we continue to do that. We've spread to five different locations, have hundreds of youth that, that are part of those programs. We've seen scores and scores of folks come to know the Lord over the years. We have discipleship groups. We have about 100 folks involved in discipleship groups every week. And we have a lot of education initiatives as well. But since that time, we have another a number of sister organizations that we've birthed. Some other 501c3s, including one called Freedom Works, which includes a number of things, some rental property, some apartments. But we also have a, a reading program that was birthed out of that. And we now have over 800 people involved in that on a weekly basis. We have 405 readers that volunteer every week, go into the public schools in downtown KC Mo, and read one-on-one -on -one with kids. And I think on an average week, we have about 1,500 people that are involved in our ministries. But all of that has been really sponsored by Hillcrest in a major way. Hillcrest helped birth our ministry, which I'm very grateful for. Another thing that we've birthed out of the ministry is Freedom Covenant Church, which again, Hillcrest sponsored and continues to sponsor. Freedom Covenant is unusual. You gotta come visit sometime. About half of our congregation is homeless. 30% comes from the federal housing developments and about 20% from suburbia. And it is just an interesting, fun time. We, we don't have ushers. We have bouncers. <laughs> but it, and, and I'll tell you, the, the worship is raw, but it is wonderful. Uh, we have also started another church initiative called the Worship Wagon. You should check, check it out on worshipwagon.org. It's a mobile church. And we have two locations so far. The first one started under a bridge at First and Grand. Every Monday night at 6 o'clock, we gathered there, and our parishioners are the homeless that live in the woods down by the Missouri River. There's about 100 that live in the woods there year-round, and it is a blast. We, ha we have different worship teams that come in and help us out. One of our worship leaders wrote this on a blog. He said, going to Worship Wagon under the bridge at First and Grand was one of the best worship experiences he ever had. He said, where else will you find someone sitting on the front row both hands in the air, and in one hand is a can of Mike's Hard Lemonade, and the other hand a cigarette, but worshiping God and feeling welcomed. And indeed it is. It's, it's a raw worship time. It's real, but we've seen a lot of people come to know the Lord, and some cool things are happening. We have another location at Fifth and Paseo. It's more family-oriented. We have moms and children coming there from one of the largest housing developments in Kansas City. So lots of fun stuff is happening, but Hillcrest has been really vital in, in the birth of that and the ongoing work of that. And so we're so grateful, and it's an honor for me to be here today and, and share with you, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. Well, let me pray and just ask the Lord to bless the hearing of his word here. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this family, part of my family here. I thank you for the unity that we have through your spirit. And Lord, we thank you for Advent and what it means. And I just pray as we open your word today that it would bring forth life to us. That those of us who have struggled with hope, that are feeling the cares of the world, feeling beat down, that we would have a renewed sense of hope. That those who are doing well, 
that, Lord, it would encourage them to keep on keeping on. And it would fill their tanks in such a way that when hard times do come, they'd still be able to maintain that hope that comes from you. So come now and bless our time, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what a great baseball season Kansas City had, right? You talk about a team that always had hope, the Royals. I mean, even against Houston, right? When they were about to be eliminated, they did not give up hope, and they won. I mean, how fun was that? I moved to Kansas City in 83 and started attending Hillcrest back then. And, uh, and so my wife and I were here actually, you know, for when they won the World Series in 85, and that was fun. But I think this far eclipsed the 85 World Series as far as enjoyment and what it did for our city. I got to go to the parade. Our, our offices are east of downtown, and so I just parked at our offices and walked a mile and a half, was front row of the parade down by the Sprint Center, and that was a blast. How many people here got to go to the parade? Wow, that's a good percentage of the congregation. How fun. Well, indeed, the Royals do represent hope. The comeback kids never gave up hope. But there's another team that was in the playoffs that I think really embodies hope. And it's not so much the team as it is the fans, and that's the Chicago Cubs. Now, here's why I say that. The Chicago Cubs are one of the charter members of Major League Baseball. They are the only major league team that still has their stadium on the original site. And every year, the fans always gather together and say, this is the year. I mean, that is the common mantra amongst the Cubs and all their fans. This is the year. This could be the year that we take it all. Now, they have not won a World Series since 1908. But every year, they believe this is the year. I mean, the media was making a big deal of the Royals being 30 years since they won the World Series. Well, it's been over 100 for the Cubs. I mean, that, that's something. Now, now, to illustrate this, I have a letter from a Cubs fan who, who began to be a Cubs fan since 1969. He writes this to new Cubs fans. This is what he writes. To be a Chicago Cubs fan is to be a part of a family of inexpressible yearning, yet undying hope. A hungry house, half starved and yet always filled, always looking ahead and always looking back. All families with roots have deep traditions. For the many among the Cub Nation, I suggest they can be captured in three basic truths we live by and die by. There is first an unfailing and hallowed reality in our knowing that next year is always here. So always looking to next year. And it goes on, and it ends with this. I love this. It says, it was said by, uh, it is said by well-known Cubs fans that the hearts of those of us in the nation are mostly scar tissue. That's what our hearts are made of, scar tissue. That may be true, but such tissue still feels, still responds to the outrageous twist of the destiny that confronts our team year in and year out. That's a, that embodies the heart of a Cubs fan, never giving up hope. Now, to give you even more uh, oomph here on how much hope that they have, here are the, some of the major things that have happened since they last won a World Series. Radio was invented. TV was invented. 
Baseball added 14 teams. Haley's Comet came and passed twice. Not only that, Alaska, Arizona, Hawaii, Oklahoma, and New Mexico were added to the union. Okay, well, <laughs> you know, it, if the Cubs and the fans of the Cubs can have hope like that, how much more should we have hope, those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ? And this is a great weekend for Cubs fans, Advent, based on hope. They're the embodiment of it. But we all need to embrace that. We all need hope, don't we? And the passage today from Luke's Gospel, although it doesn't speak directly of hope, it does embody hope. And to help you understand that, let me give you a little background to what's going on. The society at that time was in desperate need of hope. Things were rough in Israel. It had been 400 years since they had had a prophet in the land. Things had been silent. People were wondering, does God still love us? They'd had different countries occupy and rule over them. And currently, the Romans were ruling over them. The Romans had established what they called the Pax Romana, which was the Romans, Roman peace, which really wasn't peace at all. It was tyranny. People's lands were confiscated by the Romans. People lived in fear of the soldiers. There was no peace. It was a time of unrest, a time when hope was waning. It was a season in which hope was desperately needed. That was the time frame in which the Annunciation of John the Baptist came. A couple other things we see from this passage is that prayer emerges as a theme in Luke. It goes all the way through. Luke's one of my favorite gospels, by the way. You know, all four Gospels are wonderful. Each one, it's like a diamond, the Gospels are. Each one has a different, different is a, like a diamond. It's a fa each one has a facet that reflects the light of Jesus in a beautiful way. And the thing I like about Luke's Gospel is it really reflects God's heart for the poor. Those who, who are downtrodden. Those who are struggling to have hope. The birth narrative here is the, is the beginning of the both birth narratives of John the Baptist and Jesus. It's interesting that it, the birth narratives begin and end in the temple, which I believe is significant because it's in the temple, it's in the community of believers that God loves to move. That's why it's so important that you come to church, that you're part of a church body. Because it's in this place that God loves to do special things. So that's a little bit of the background of, of this passage, but let's look at two verses in particular from this passage, verse 6 and 7. I'll read that to us, and if you want to follow along, that's great. Luke 1, verses 6 and 7. And it says, they were both righteous, referring to Zacharias and his wife, before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. There's a couple things we learn about Zacharias here and his wife. They were righteous and they were blameless. Now, an important thing to note here is that does not mean that they were perfect. They had their flaws too. What it means is they were forgiven. They looked to God for forgiveness. That they kept heading the right direction. A lot of times, we kind of beat ourselves up because we're not perfect. We look at people like Zacharias, 
and Elizabeth in the, in the Bible, we think, oh, I could never be like that. But they were, her, they were human too. Look at Zacharias here. He had an angel of the Lord speak to him, and he doubted him. And he ended up becoming mute for a while because of it. I mean, here's a guy, he's in the temple. I mean, the, the priests didn't get to go into the Holy of Holies very often. And when they went in, they knew there was a chance they could really encounter the presence of God. They had an expectation, which is an expectation, by the way, we should have when we have time alone with God. One of the things they'd do to the priests when they'd go into the Holy of Holies, like Zacharias did here when the Annunciation occurred, was they'd tie a rope around their ankle in case they were overcome by the presence of God and they could pull them out. I mean, that's how serious it was. And here he is, he's in the Holy of Holies, and the angel speaks to him, and he doubts the, the word of the angel. Now, that's pretty serious. But yet he was still righteous and blameless before the Lord. He wasn't perfect, but he was forgiven. And that's the way we are. If your heart is right before God, even if you're not perfect, God's for you. And there's no reason to lose hope in your journey just because you're not perfect. We're all flawed. We're all broken, but we can be forgiven. And that's a hope that we have through God. And that was the message that John the Baptist ultimately brought as he paved the way for Jesus Christ. Now, I've heard the message from, from an angel many times. I don't know about you guys, but I've had angel encounters. I've heard an angel speak to me many times, and every time I heed it. Now, I'm referring to my wife, of course. She is an angel. Some of you know her. Would you not agree, Michaelin? She is an angel. I put her on a plane this morning to go see our granddaughter, otherwise she'd be here. She's babysitting this next week. Well, Zacharias wasn't perfect, but he was forgiven. And, but he was a man that needed hope. You know, it talks about him being righteous and blameless, but then there's this but statement in verse 7. But he and his wife were childless, and they are great in years. This guy, he and his wife, I'm sure had a hope. A hope to have a family, to have a child, a hope that had been deferred. And they were wondering why. So here's Zacharias and Elizabeth lived in a time in the culture where hope was desperately needed. And in their own personal lives, they needed an infusion of hope. And it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to maintain hope. We're not too different, are we? We live in a culture and a time where hope is tough. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, right, in Paris? I mean, our, things that are going on in the world, it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to grow discouraged. And I'm sure in, in this place, if I was to ask each of you, there are things in your life that you're struggling to maintain hope in. Whether it be a broken relationship, or your job working out, or about your kids? Are your kids going to make it? Are they going get, to get over the hill? Or are they going to make it in God? There's things that all of us struggle in. We all need hope. And so we need to learn from these passages of how to maintain our hope. In the covenant liturgy, Jeremiah also speaks of hope. And specifically in the book of Lamentations, there's a great passage that gives us some really practical hands-on tips on how to maintain hope against all, all the, the wave of society, all the reasons why we shouldn't have hope, the things that wash over us. I mean, all you have to do is watch the news and it could, it could be a real challenge to maintain hope, right? 
Well, Jeremiah in Lamentation gives us some practical tips on how to maintain hope. And so let's turn now to Lamentations 3. You're not just getting one passage today, you're getting two for the price of one. Not bad, huh? Lamentations chapter 3. Let's look at verses 21 through 25. Now, to help you appreciate this, Jeremiah, who's widely recognized as the author of Lamentations, was also known as the weeping prophet. He was kind of the Rodney Dangerfield of prophets, if you will. I mean, this guy got no respect. I mean, he was beaten up more times for delivering the word of the Lord. He was imprisoned. He was broke. He had a tough time. And if anyone had a reason not to have hope, it would have been Jeremiah. And in fact, at the beginning of chapter 3, he talks about how his hope waned at times, how he struggled with it. But then he gives his secrets to maintaining hope right here in verses 21 through 25. It says this, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Well, here he gives us several, several tips. And one is to remember. Three times in this passage, he talks about remembering in some form. Remembering. You know, a lot of times we fall into what I call spiritual amnesia. We forget about the goodness of God and what he's done for us. And when trials and hardship come, we forget those things and we lose our hope. Jeremiah is saying, the way I maintain my hope in a tough time, in tough seasons of life, is remembering the goodness of God. Then also, three times in this passage, as you read the whole passage, you see that his hope is inseparably, it's completely linked to God. His hope was linked to God. There's no other way you can have hope. It's not in life situations working out just perfectly. It's not your job and that contract coming through. It's not that raise that you want making life better for you and giving you that hope. It's not a relational dynamic being ironed out perfectly for you to have hope. Your hope is not based on circumstances or life issues. It's based on God and God alone. That's where you get hope. And that's what Jeremiah is saying here. Another thing is, he said in this passage, is he believes in the goodness of the Lord. He believes it. Sometimes we just simply have to do an internal action called believe. We have to just decide, I am going to believe God. It is so easy when we're going through hard times to go through these mental games, all these what-ifs, and get caught up in this mind game where we lose our peace and we lose that hope. We can dwell on the negative all we want, but it does no good. We have to sometimes just say, I'm not going to dwell on that anymore. I am going to believe in the goodness of God. Now, I want to say this. It's not possible in your own human strength to do that. You might be able to do it for a while, but you just can't do it just because you're so disciplined and focused. 
None of us are that great. The only way we can really believe is by God's grace. And so sometimes it starts like this. God, I am struggling with this issue in my life. I'm losing hope in this. Would you help me? Lord, would, I got to say, Lord, I do not believe this. I don't believe that this can work out. But yeah, I believe in you. And so, Lord, would you infuse me with hope? God, help me have hope. Sometimes it's just a prayer like that, saying, God, I need you to give me the hope I need. I need you to help me believe. Help my unbelief, Lord. God loves those prayers. And you know, it, a lot of, you know, our society would like to say that the advent, the, the idea of hope, that we get hope from God is just a religious crutch. It's just religious escapism. But many of you know, maybe all of you, I hope, know that that's not true. That we really do have a divine hope that you can't get anywhere else but from God. And sometimes you have to do the third thing that Jeremiah recommends here, and that's wait. Wait on the Lord. And that doesn't mean passively wait, like you're sitting on the sofa saying, okay, God, when are you going to show up and help me here? No, it's, when it talks about waiting on the Lord, it's talking about being patient. Because the Lord has his own timing and his own ways of doing it. And it's rarely our timing that he does it in. It's in his timing. Because his timing is perfect. So we need to remember, we need to believe, and we need to wait. I'll tell you, this was really brought home to me in a very vivid way just recently. Last month, my brother passed away. He was in his early 60s. It was, it was a, a tough battle that he had for two years with cancer. But I tell you what, I am so thankful for what God did in his life. Two years, uh, just before he came down with cancer, he openly declared himself to be an atheist. His life had been rough, he had been disillusioned, and he kind of gave up on God. So a couple, over two years ago, he said, I, I, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. Well, then he comes down with cancer, and he starts to reconnect with our family, and it had been a long time. And he starts to renew the relationships. I started getting more time with him. And we had some wonderful sweet times, some fun times, playing dominoes together and just laughing. Some great times. But on June 17th, something happened, which was really phenomenal. I remember I was sitting in his car in the driveway of his house in Wichita, Kansas. And I said, Rom, you have cancer. The prognosis isn't good. What do you think? What do you think about eternity? And he started opening up and, and saying he'd been giving it a lot of thought. I said, well, Rob, what's to keep you from praying right now to ask Jesus into your heart and secure your eternal destiny? He said, I would love to. And he grabs my hands and he pulls them in tight. And he prayed the most sincere and earnest prayer, asking Jesus Christ into his life. He lived four more months. And it was an incredible paradox of life. While his body was dying, his heart was coming to life. I started to see the fruit of the Spirit emerge in his life in a marvelous way. And I started to see hope emerge as well, even though his body was dying. He knew he was dying, but he had a hope. There was a number of times where we stayed up late on the phone talking, and we were dreaming 
about what heaven's going to be like. It was phenomenal. So when I get there, I'm expecting him to be there with my dad and some fishing rods. And we're going to go fishing. We're going to have some divine adventures. You know what I'm saying? Because we have a hope. If your hope is lacking, it's probably because the reality of heaven has not sunk in yet into your spirit. If you really believe that heaven exists, you need to have hope. You will have hope if you really believe heaven exists. Because this world is only the changing room for glory. Heaven is real. And when we really grasp that in our spirit, whatever trials we face become very small when we realize that heaven is real. Well, I want to challenge you guys today. One is grasp the reality that we have a hope beyond this, this world, beyond what we can see right here. And in order to maintain that hope, we need to take the lessons that Jeremiah gives us and remember the goodness of God in our life. I encourage you to do this. My wife, my wife has a white stone with a, with a verse engraved on it that reminds her of the goodness of God. I have a picture in the kitchen right now of me with my brother Rob what reminds me of the goodness of God and that I have a home beyond this earth. I encourage you to make, do something, make something, put it in your home, hang it in your house, put it on the dashboard of your car, whatever you need to do to remind you of God's goodness because that will help you maintain hope. And then you also just need to decide that you're going to believe. You're going to believe in the goodness of God. And the last thing is wait. Just be patient with God. He does show up. As they say in the city, he shows up and he shows out. And he'll do that for you if you just allow him to do it. Amen? Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we're not a people without hope. That we have a hope that is secure in you. And Lord, I ask right now for those in the midst right here that are struggling with it, that there's been issues, maybe there's been addictions and habits that have just plagued, plagued us for so long. I pray that those who are struggling with addictions and maybe given up hope of ever walking, walking free from that, that their hope would be renewed and that they'd look to you and they'd find deliverance. For those who have really struggled with relationships, I pray that you renew their hope. For those who have maybe struggled on, on feeling intimacy with you, Lord, I just pray that they would discover new depths in you. I pray that you'd give them a greater revelation of their love. But Lord, we ask that hope would emerge in our lives to a greater depth, and that hope would spill over and that we'd be able to impart it to others as well. Lord, help us to walk and live as a people of hope.